1: And I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. We have so much to look forward to, so much promise and potential of where we are, and so much reason for hope. But right now, I'm scared. Yes, well, that's that's very comforting. The CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, uh, says that she has a feeling of impending doom. Uh, I have a recurring feeling of impending doom. <laughs> So, uh, remember last week, Dr. Fauci was accused by uh, Rand Paul, Dr. Rand Paul, in that hearing of making his conclusions, which he then has turned into public policy, uh, on COVID and its spread and on masks and on vaccines and all of it based on assumptions, not on facts. They always say follow the science, but there is no silence. There is no science to prove what they are trying to get us to do. Uh, and so now they're telling us that everything's worse. Oh, there's a new strand and it's, uh, you know, going, you know, the the, the globe is uh, going to die. I mean, everyone's going to die because, you know, there's a new strand and now you must get your vaccine and you must hurry, says Joe Biden. You must get it quickly. And now, of course, they're talking about a vaccine passport. I have so much to tell you about this this morning. Uh, and so I'm going to uh, try to be as clear as I possibly can. And is efficient. First of all, you have to hear what your president said yesterday, in part, because on this theme of all of these outbreaks and how it's worse and the cases are increasing. Now, yet yeah, they've managed somehow to find the numbers to say that the cases have increased. But the odd thing is that, as uh, the governor of Texas points out, there are fewer uh, people in the hospital, and there are much fewer deaths. The death rate from COVID is falling. It's just falling everywhere in spite of what they're saying. The sky is falling. The sky is falling in pending doom. All right. So Joe Biden had to do his part and he did it. This is it last night. Clip three.
2: I'm reiterating my call for every governor, mayor and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, this is not politics. Reinstate the mandate if you let it down. And businesses require masks as well. The failure to take this virus seriously, precisely what got us in this mess in the first place, risk more cases and more deaths. deaths. Look, as I do my part to accelerate the vaccine distribution and vaccinations, I need the American people to do their part as well. Mask up, mask up. It's a patriotic duty. It's the only way we ever get back to normal. To cheer together in stadiums full of fans. To gather together on holidays again safely. Go to graduations, weddings.
1: Where do I start? I hear that and I am just furious. I am furious. This is not politics. Are you kidding me? This is nothing but pure politics. He's saying that it's our patriotic duty. Yes, sir. The, father, the fatherland requires you to carry papers and check, you know, the good people and the bad people, the people that are in, the people that are out. All uh, these papers that they want us to carry, put in our phones, are very dangerous. I'm going to get to that in a second. But let me get back to some real, actual reports on why this just is such a lie, such an incredibly creepy, insidious lie, a game, a dangerous game they're trying to play with us. You have to. Now, mask up, you've got to double down and mask up at your patriotic duty. Uh, yeah, uh, not really. Patriotic duty to start pe- scaring people more, causing more depression and suicide, causing businesses to lose customers and business and more loss of jobs, and the cycle continues. I don't think so. You know what? I'll take my chances any day on dying from COVID. But You know, I think of Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death. I'll take death. Thank you. I'll take death over what they're proposing for us. Now, let me make my case that um, what they're saying is abjectly not true. And one of the ways we know this, I'll just use Sweden. I've mentioned them so many times during this last year. Uh, But uh, Angers Tegnell was Sweden's top uh, epidemiologist. And he's the one that uh, decided that Sweden would not lock down like the rest of the world. They just would not do it. They wouldn't have all the mandates. They would not close business. Uh, they didn't do the social distancing. They may have done some of it, but hardly any of it. They call it the, well, the way it's been described in this is, this, I'm reading this from the Foundation for Economic Education. They call it Sweden's laissez-faire approach, and certainly it was that. So um, this is what Tegnell said in a recent interview to Reuters. I think people will probably think very carefully about these total shutdowns, how good they really were. They may have had an effect in the short term, but when you look at it throughout the pandemic, you become more and more doubtful. techno was referring to data published by Reuters that show Sweden, which shunned the strict lockdowns and embraced by most nations around the world, experienced a smaller increase in its mortality rate than most European countries in 2020. Uh, John Carlson, who's the director of the Public Health Agency of Sweden, said some believed that it was possible to eliminate disease transmission by shutting down society. We did not believe that. And we have been proven right. Reports last April showed that despite widespread criticism for not embracing a full government lockdown, COVID-19 had reached what Tegnell described as a plateau in Sweden. That was last April. That was a year ago. Last April, they had already reached a plateau. And so it goes on to talk about. Uh, this is from Bloomberg. I'll read this last. As that, no, I, can't, I don't have time to read all of that. I want to. We'll put this article on our Facebook page. It's uh, Sweden say saw lower mortality rate than most of Europe in 2020 despite no lockdown. And so uh, this article ends very interestingly. So let me go to the end of it. It says. One reason Sweden saw a lower mortality rate than most of its European counterparts is because its leaders recognized this. As a result, Sweden avoided much of the collateral damage associated with lockdowns, which includes economic distress, increased suicide, depression from social isolation, drug and alcohol abuse, and other adverse public health consequences. And um, remember Dr. Fauci said, this is recalled in this article, he said this last spring. We can't stay locked down for such a considerable period of time that you might do irreparable damage and have unintended consequences, including consequences for health. That's what he said last year. Oh, what a difference a year makes and what a difference money makes in terms of all the money you can gain from doing these things, from vaccines, from masks, uh, control, the incredible control that's been gained by people like Fauci and others, and Joe Biden now is pulling the strings Again, And so he's warning governors, you know, reinstate, I'm telling you, uh, reinstate the mask mandate and make sure both businesses do the same thing. You governors, it's your patriotic duty. Well, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, wasn't having it. Clip one.
0: You want the fox to guard the hen house? I mean, give me a break. I think this is something that has huge privacy implications. It is not necessary to do. You know, we're going to have hit three and a half million seniors that have gotten shots uh, uh, sometime this week, likely 75% of seniors. It's important to be able to do it. But at the same time, uh, we are not going to have you provide proof of this just to be able to live your life normally. And I'm going to be taking some action in, in an executive function, emergency function here very shortly.
1: Yes. Okay. So he's talking about the vaccine passports, which I want to talk about. But uh, Rhonda DeSantis is not having this. Uh, he's become really uh, the leader, really. I it just I, by def, by default, if nothing else, he's willing to take a stand. He's willing to fight back, and thank God for Ron DeSantis and other other Republican governors has, have followed suit, and thank God for all of them too. Uh, sometimes courage breeds courage, and he certainly has it. But it's courage against a windmill. It is a windmill. But this is what they're using as a hammer. Let me explain something. Now, this is probably the most frightening thing. I don't. Uh, I have not been happy this last year at the lies and deceit and the manipulation and control of people, the fear I see on people's faces. It upsets me so much, I can't tell you. Uh, not going to church, not, not meeting in church, meeting in church and, you know, separated by these, these false uh, distances, completely unverified by the science, uh, and just seeing the control that we've seen arbitrarily exercised by people in Washington. And to see people comply so easily and not even think about it has been one of the hardest things to watch, I think. But vaccine passports takes this to a new level. And let me explain this. Uh, There's a whole long article in Washington Post uh, about it. Let me just say that the administration is working on this, but they're saying basically, oh, it's not us. It's going to be uh, companies are going to be doing this. It's just that we're kind of helping get them together, and expedite it. But hey, it's not us. It's not coming from us. This is coming from companies. And if you're wondering what this means, vaccine passports, it does not mean just uh, something to show that you've had the vaccine. It isn't just that. Uh, Let me read from Naomi Wolf. Naomi Wolf is an uneven kind of source, but uh, she's uh, certainly not a conservative, but this is what she has to say. Wake up world for the love of God. As I've been screaming for a year, it's not about virus. It's not even about a vaccine. It's the data. The vaccine is an excuse, a Trojan horse, to get you to agree to a platform that is already 360-degree surveillance, geolocation, and turns society off and on. And uh, she says once you agree to this platform, because what they're planning on doing is have you download it to your phone, this so-called passport. But it's so much more than that. And please listen. Please listen. I'll try to make it this big, huge thing short and concise. Once you agree to this platform, any functionality can be loaded into your phone, turning off and on access to society, goods, information, movement, based on your behavior. Once this platform is mandated, you can no longer opt in or out of it, as you do when you sign I agree to terms and conditions on a website. You will be forced to agree in order to work, socialize, travel, then any functionality, which is social credit system like pay, PayPal, uh, can be turned off, and you won't have any way of doing commerce. And based on your social media behavior, it will rest- it can restrict you to your home base. Uh, whether you saw dissidents that which the, the app will know, or a forbidden play the night before can be loaded into your onto it with no problem, without additional consent from you, which you can't revoke anyway. And uh, then she goes on to say, as the do- uh, as the um, a granddaughter of a woman who lost brothers and sisters to the Holocaust. I don't say this lightly. IBM is producing the New York City version, and that's true. And then she says, IBM's German subsidiary, Nazi Germany, built the forerunner of a digitized system like this using punch cards that first did exactly what vaccine passport proposes. It separated Nazi Germany into two-tier society, Jew and Aryan, using the technology of the day. Then IBM created the mechanized list that allowed Jews to be rounded up swiftly, efficiently, exactly same system, updated. But before that, Nazis created exactly what vaccine passports explicitly promise, separation of society into two tiers, the clean, privileged, with access, and the unclean, restricted, stigmatized, marginalized. There is no going back once this platform unrolls. There is no escape. And if you think that's extreme... There's an interesting article in The Guardian this morning. This is a British outlet, and it's written by a Brit Brit named Stephanie Hare. And she says, give pause before you raise a glass to the prospect of a vaccine passport. And she reflects much the same thing. only she talks about it from the vantage point of someone who lives in the UK. Uh, We'll put that article also on our Facebook page. Give pause before you raise a glass to the prospect of a vaccine passport. It will not just apply to whether you can travel. It certainly will. Uh, I think most of us will have to say goodbye to international travel unless you want to take the vaccine and download the passport. And uh, this is much like it sounds the Chinese social score where the apps that they, they track every people's every behavior, their thoughts, uh, their their associations, and uh, they are given a score, a social score. And based on the score, you, it decides whether you can get a job whether you can enter a college, or whether you can, you know, uh, access society. This is where this is going. For those of you that are believers in Jesus and know the New Testament, you know God in Revelation. We have predictions of these kinds of things. And here it is in living color. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
5: While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse.
0: The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger.
5: And then, as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty.
0: To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand.
1: This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
0: Today, we pray for Cecilia Rouse, chair of the Council of Economic Advisers. She advises the president on economic matters and her agency prepares the economic report of the president. Proverbs nineteen twenty reminds us of the importance of wise counsel. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Cecilia Rouse as she advises the President on economic matters. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Join us as we pray for God's guidance for the President and his administration. It's the 100 Days of Prayer.
5: Details at pausetopray.org.
6: Hello Americans, I'm Todd Stearns with news and commentary next.
5: Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595.
6: The Cinderella story of the NCAA basketball tournament came to an end for Oral Roberts University. The Christian University, a number 15 seed, making it to the Sweet 16. The Arkansas Razorbacks doing what the mainstream media had wanted to do all along. Give the Christians the heave ho. USA Today published a story condemning the Golden Eagles, demanding they be banned from the tournament. That's because ORU holds to the biblical standard for marriage and gender. Out Sports said the Golden Eagles should be treated as anti gay pariahs. Mason Beasler wrote about this in a recent edition of AFA Journal. He says at the root of this liberal agenda is one that is entirely intolerant of differing beliefs. So don't be surprised if one day the NCAA demands conformity on that particular issue. Just remember, You can't host an NCAA tournament unless you let men use the ladies' room. I'm Todd Stearns.
0: Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
2: I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common-sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. I got that done when I was a senator. It passed. It was law for the longest time. And it brought down these mass killings. We should do it again. We can close the loopholes in our background check system, including the Charleston loophole. That's one of the best tools we have right now to prevent gun violence. The Senate should immediately pass — let me say it again — the United States Senate — I hope some are listening — should immediately pass the two House-passed bills that close loopholes in the background check system. These are bills that receive votes of both Republicans and Democrats in the House. This is not and should not be a partisan issue. This is an American issue. It will save lives, American lives, and we have to act. We should also ban assault weapons in the process.
1: All right. That's your president. <clears throat> at least he doesn't tweet. Uh, don't you, you know, at least he doesn't tweet. Joe's such a nice guy. And when he says these things, he's just so nice, except for the times when he's saying, come on, man, or criticizing or ridiculing the former president. He's not so nice. But um, he's talking about the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms. It's kind of important. Uh, uh, and so there's a reason why we have that amendment. We've had this conversation with our next guest so many times. There are things we want to talk to him about this morning. John Laud is um, – John, I forgot who you are. You, you, he's the president of Crime Prevention Research Center. I know John so well I went blank. But he's a, he was a former senior advisor for research and statistics at the Department of Justice's Office of uh, Legal Policy. He worked on vote fraud, and we're going to talk about that secondy, secondly. But, John, we have to start with these – uh, gun laws because that's your that's your bailiwick and um, there's been the two mass shootings recently and then this is what Joe Biden said on the heels of it just your thoughts about what he's talking about doing
3: right well uh, you know everybody wants to try to figure out what we can do uh, to stop these attacks I mean uh, last year there were only two of uh, these attacks during the entire year but um you know, the the thing is, uh these background check bills, for example, that he was talking about, they wouldn't have stopped the attacks that just happened and they wouldn't have stopped any of the mass public shootings over, you know, any time this century. Uh you know, take something like the Charleston uh loophole bill, uh that he was talking about. It's really a misnamed uh bill there. Um the the notion is is that the the killer, Dylan Roof, who shot the uh, nine people in the black church in 2015 during the Obama administration, uh, if they'd only had more time to go and do a background check, uh, so they're going to be given up uh, 30 days to do it, uh, they would have found that he was disqualified from being able to go and buy a gun. And that's simply wrong. Uh, you're banned from buying a gun if you're either convicted felon or you've been convicted of uh, certain misdemeanors or uh... if you've been arrested but not yet convicted but arrested for a crime a state crime where uh... the prison term that you could get if you are convicted would be two years or more uh, the problem is uh... dylan roof was con- arrested for a misdemeanor drug offense where the worst penalty that he would have faced if he had been convicted would have been six months. So they could have they could have spent the next thirty years going and checking his background and they still wouldn't have found him prohibited, uh, because of the arrest that was there. You know, if they want to go and change the law so that a simple arrest but not a conviction for let's say any misdemeanor, uh, would have prevented you from being able to buy a gun, you know, at least that would have been relevant. Uh But, you know, or they could go and say, um, you know, uh, we're going to uh, uh, ban you from being able to uh, purchase a gun for 30 days to try to create a waiting period like that. You know, but they don't want to make an argument like that. They want to focus on something that, uh, you know, is a horrible incident there and trying to tie it into... Uh, a law that they want to go and change. I think it, they'd be a lot more honest if they simply said we want to make a 30-day waiting period. But I know that that would be a lot harder sell for them to make.
1: Yeah, well, they'll, we can't count on them ever being honest. And this is the pattern they always use. As soon as some crime happens, John, how many times have we talked about this through the years? I'm honestly, since I was on, since we I met you in Chicago in the 90s, uh, this has been the, the. It's been the ritual. It's been the dance. Uh, there's a shooting, and then they want to take away the rights. To, they're, they're convinced that the shooting itself is reason to take away uh, uh, law-abiding citizens' rights to carry guns to protect themselves. You know, I'm thinking about, did you see that video of the guy in uh, Salem, Oregon? Uh, they had a what they called a freedom rally on Sunday. And uh, so all these trucks, you know, drove through near the Capitol, around the Capitol, with flags, and some had Trump stickers, but some, it was America, and all of this stuff, and then Antifa came uh, to be part of that. According to Andy, no, it was outright Antifa. And uh, did you see this, John, where um, this older gentleman is driving by in the truck, and the Antifa are attacking these trucks, they're damaging them, they're they're throwing paint on them, they are uh, throwing objects, they're... Knocking out windows, uh, and this one gentleman, they they knocked out his window. They spray painted his truck with yellow, and he gets out of the truck. They t- they knocked out his tail lights to see what's happening, and they mace him right in the eyes. And he then draws his gun, and he says, "Get away from me!" And then he's promptly arrested, uh, thrown on the ground. Not thrown. Well, he's he's told to get on the ground. Gets on the ground. He's arrested. Okay. My question is this: Did What's the role of the gun there, and um, do you have a right to defend yourself if someone has just shot you in the eyes with mace? Don't you have a right to self-defense?
3: I would think so, and I would think that the individual's not going to end up being convicted for anything, but, um, you know, you... The police, I assume, were acting on orders uh, that were there. It's not necessarily saying that the police were thrilled by what they had to do themselves, but, you know, you're in a fairly liberal uh, town there, and, uh, uh, you know, the politicians are essentially giving the marching orders to the police on what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, just like... In Portland, Oregon, uh, not very far away, where antifa uh has been doing riots and damaging buildings uh, and businesses, you know they did that for months, and the police were ordered to stand down and not arrest them um, you know it's big surprise if you don't arrest these types of individuals, there's a lot more damage they are encouraged to go and do the crime uh.
1: But, yeah. but I think the thing that strikes yeah. me, where would we be without guns? Look at the, what's what they're doing, John. Uh, and they're getting away with it. You know, uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa and others uh, are getting away with uh, trying to harm uh, American patriots that they perceive as their ideological enemy. And uh, the police are not able. They're standing down. So how in the world are we supposed to protect ourselves? And I guess that is no, the I, point. Look, I it?
3: agree with you. There's a reason why. Over this last year, there's a huge surge in in gun purchases that occurred. You know, it doesn't take rocket science to go and understand that you go and release, you know, a quarter or more than half of uh, the inmates that you have in jails and prisons around the country. Uh, You you make it so that uh, police are being ordered to stand down, not being allowed to go and do their job. You have prosecutors in major cities who are refusing to convict criminals uh... It's kind of, it's a perfect storm for a recipe that uh, you're going to have more crime and and violent crime surged this last year, and so people see that the police are not being allowed to protect them. My my research convinces me that the police are the single most important factor for reducing crime, but if they're not allowed to go and do their job, what alternative do people have but to go and protect themselves? And so you saw this big increase in in gun sales uh and uh, even a lot of liberals were going out and buying guns for the first time uh you know it doesn't it's not a difficult thing to go and figure out uh you've seen some reversal of that since the election uh some places like Minnesota uh Minneapolis that were last year uh talking about completely defunding the police now that the uh, elections passed, they've kind of reversed their their sayings, so I think they maybe even really understand all this all the time, and maybe part of it was purely political, but apparently not all of them understand it as we can observe from uh what just happened in Oregon.
1: One last question on on the guns before we move to the the election because you have an interesting story, and I want you to tell it um. If the Democrat, they're, they're passing their wish bills on everything. You know, right, the election right now, the, the For the People Act, which will com- forever uh, keep us from having any free and fair elections, as far as I'm concerned, ever. Uh, that's their dream bill on, uh, on elections. But what's their dream bill on guns? What do they want to do?
3: Well, I mean, I think all these bills have one thing in common, and that is they want to make it costly for Americans to be able to go and have guns. So, uh, you know, this Charleston loophole basically imposes up to a 30-day waiting period that the government can impose, you know, the universal background checks, those background checks on the private transfers of guns. Um, You know, in Washington, D.C., where they're voting on it, it costs $125 to privately transfer a gun. That may not stop you or I from being able to get a gun, but... The very people that my research indicates who benefit the most from being able to get guns—poor uh, blacks who live in high-crime urban areas, the people who are most likely victims of violent crime—$125 might make the difference between whether or not they legally buy a gun or not. Um, uh, you know, there, there are things that they could do that would allow them to easily pass these universal background checks, but. They're things that they will fight against. So I'll just give you a quick example on these costs. You know, if you really believe that these background checks reduce crime, and, and I don't, uh, but if you if you believe that they do, it reduce, would reduce crime for everyone, not just the individual who's going out of the way to obey the law. Why make them pay the entire freight of the cost of the background check? You know, and in addition, presumably if you think that these background checks are good, uh, you want to encourage people to do it, but you don't encourage them by making them pay a $125 fee for doing it. And both of those reasons are a reason why, if you really like these background checks, uh, you'd want to pay for the cost of that out of general revenue rather than making the individual buying the gun they have to pay the whole cost. It, it seems like that would be a, a, a sensible, I mean, they talk about common sense. It seems like that would be a common sense change. To make in the law that they want to put, that they will fight you tooth and nail over that. Well, they'll fight you, yeah. Because it's not about common
1: sense. It's not about common sense. You know, you figured that out a long time ago. No, this is about. This is about deconstructing and destroying. And so that's and when I finally, when I finally figured out, that out, John, I think I had some peace of mind, actually. I thought I used to, you know, do these mind twists, like, how is it they think that will work? How is it they think that will work? And then I finally realized, well, it makes perfect sense if you're trying to destroy. But one last word about this. I, I, I look, I'm going you're to, the, you're the expert, but I'm going to challenge you. I think what you're suggesting they want to do is far too modest. I think they have a grander scheme, and maybe we don't have it in writing yet, but I do think they want to do away with the second amendment. i'm not sure what that's going to look like um, well, I,
3: they... I think they do too I think yeah. they do too i think they they you know they they keep professing that they don't want to do away with the second amendment now, but you know these are the same people that when they um, heller decision was made by the supreme court or the mcdonald decision was made by the supreme court both a decade or more ago now um they were in court saying that uh uh, the government had the ability to completely ban guns if they wanted to do it um you know why make that argument if the second amendment means anything then surely it means you can't completely ban all guns but they had no problem going to the Supreme Court and saying, "Yeah, yeah. they should have the power to completely ban guns." And so that—yes, these are and the they same will... individuals.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's what we can look forward to uh, when they get their um, filibuster done away with and they start controlling everything. But John, let's let's talk about something really interesting that I, that not many people are reporting. I don't think not enough people. Uh, the other thing that you did—I mentioned this quickly—but I want to restate that you were working with the Trump administration as a senior advisor for research and statistics at the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Legal Policy, and you were working on voter fraud. Now, you are a statistician. Uh, that was
3: your—well,
1: that's not exactly you, statistics. What did you—what did you call what you taught?
3: Oh, well, I, was in, I did economics. I was a, economics. I, okay. Right. <laughs>
1: Yeah, which includes lots of, lots of statistics. Uh, John, so let's talk about what you found in Missoula County, Montana, of all places. Uh, tell us what happened there.
3: Right. I mean, Montana is not exactly on people's top of their list for vote fraud. But uh, one thing that you saw after this election was there really weren't serious audits of, uh, of the voting that occurred, the mail-in votes. I mean, in uh, Maricopa County, Arizona, uh, they looked at 100 ballots out of uh, out of uh, 1.6 million that were cast by, through the mail. Uh, in Cobb County, Georgia, they reviewed 10% of the uh, mail and the ballot envelopes. But, you know, that wasn't the real county to look at. The county everybody wanted them to look at was Fulton County there. And, uh, uh, but by looking at all the mail and ballot envelopes you were able to do things that uh, you couldn't get with just these samples and what they found there uh, in Missoula County which is the second largest county in the state and' heavily democratic county is that there were about six a little bit over 6.3 percent more votes tallied than envelopes and and the problem is is that all the votes in Missoula County were mail in votes, and so you know you can't have a ballot there without an envelope you can't tell the date you can't there's nothing to check with regard to the signature that's there um, and uh they had no explanation for it uh and and they're supposed to also have a video of uh, the process where they show the opening of the envelopes and uh, and the counting of the ballots, but the videos were missing from that, um, and there are other problems that have occurred. Uh, uh, of the envelopes that they did have, um, they were missing dates. Uh, some of them uh, hadn't had their signatures checked, and when you add those together, you're talking about over seven percent of the votes, and that that not only uh, could swing a number of local races, which were much, much closer than that. I mean, some were very close for uh, the state house within that county. Uh, but you also have a situation where, uh, uh, you know, even statewide races, uh, recent statewide races were less than the margin uh, that you have there in, in Missoula County. Um, so, you know, if, if you can have this, Type of problem uh, in a county where people weren't even focusing really on whether there was vote fraud or not that was occurring. We can only imagine in other places uh, how much worse it could be.
1: Yeah, it makes me wonder. Uh, so, did I have? Did you guys look into like with Tester? I thought Tester won by kind of a small margin in twenty twenty, and I don't know if you know right offhand what that was. But would it have have affected potentially his race as well?
3: Uh, I don't know if it, I don't think it would have affected his last one. Last time I think he was up was uh, uh, 2016. But um, <coughs> uh, he's up again. Oh, sorry. 20, I thought,
1: uh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I thought he ran again this year. So I made a mistake.
3: Uh, right. He comes up again in 2022. But uh, there were, his first time, uh, I think he, uh, for sure, uh, was extremely close. I think it was less than 4,000 votes in the state uh... the uh, previous democratic governor in the state had won by just uh... A few thousand votes um, uh... you know in the other races that uh... could have been turned if just by having fraud in this one county i mean there are other a couple other heavily democratic counties in the state i don't know people haven't gone through and looked at their vote counts yet too so it's it's possible that it's even more than just one county but what? just having this in one county, I mean, whether it's just incompetence or whether it's somehow people trying to stuff the ballot box, when you have you know seven percent plus, and the, and this doesn't even count the duplicate signatures. The the auditors were not allowed by the county election officials when they were to take pictures of the signatures when they were going through. Uh, there were a number of cases. There was one. Uh, there are 28 votes from a nursing home. Uh, that they discovered where the signatures looked very similar to each other on all 28 of uh, the envelopes. Uh, another auditor found that uh, there were literally dozens of, uh, of envelopes that looked like they had the same unique signature on them. Uh, but the problem was with the COVID restrictions, the county election officials wouldn't allow uh, the auditors to go and share ballots across tables. Uh, They wouldn't allow them to take pictures and share the pictures across tables so that, uh, you know, you may have one auditor seeing five votes that look the same in terms of signatures, and somebody else may have gotten another ballot that looked the same, but they would never know.
1: John, we're going to have to take a break. I just had one more question for you, but if you don't mind holding on just for a second... We'll do a little yeah. short break, and what I want to ask you is uh, what we need to talk about in just a few minutes that we have left is the implications of this, because what you're contributing to here is the big lie, you know, the big lie that there was any voting irregularity in 2020. You just told My a guys, big lie. Trump and yes. Brett impeached. Yeah, time. yeah, exa- exactly. So when we come back, let's talk about the larger implications of what you found in Missoula County, Montana on future voting and also on 2020. This is Sandy Rios. My guest is John Lott. And by the way, it's crimeresearch.org for all of his great information on guns and crime and all of that. Crimeresearch.org. Sandy Rios in the morning.
0: The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe that our ministry, as well as everything in the heavens and on earth, belongs to God. And our role is that of a trusted manager. Thank you for standing with AFA as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values.
6: Our culture thinks we're smarter than God, our creator. Some want to throw away biblical norms about gender and sexuality in search of happiness. Hasbro Toys tried to help by making Mr. Potato Head gender neutral because a male and female potato were too limiting. Surveys said most disagreed, so they changed their mind. We don't need a potato head to show us the path to happiness. We need God and the Bible. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org.
0: Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Coming three points shy of advancing to the NCAA men's basketball elite eight round in their Cinderella March Madness journey, the Oral Roberts University Golden Eagles drew the ire of USA Today's For the Win publication. The opinion article author said, Oh, are you adhered to archaic behavioral standards and codes of conduct? And you know what those standards are because ORU adheres to the Bible's teaching on sexuality. USA Today published a piece calling for them to be booted out of the NCAA. Regressives want Christianity canceled from public life, period. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with today's Life and Liberty Minute. Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden claims to be a big-time supporter of diversity in the military, but that is plainly not true. His Defense Department just hired Richard Torres Estrada to oversee the Office of Diversity and Inclusion. Last year, however, Estrada compared the then-current Commander-in-Chief Donald Trump to Adolf Hitler. So the guy who now oversees hiring for the Navy SEALs would have no place For a man who received 74 million votes for president in November from patriotic Americans. It won't be an office of diversity and inclusion. It'll be an office of woke sameness, which rejects diversity for mind-numbing uniformity, which excludes anyone who brings a Christian worldview to work as a defender of our freedom. If our military goes woke, it goes broke, meaning it'll no longer work. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio.
4: This is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The World Health Organization, an international agency known to be deeply compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, has just concluded a problematic investigation into the source of the murderous coronavirus pandemic. Today, its findings exonerating the CCP from any responsibility and echoing its party line that bats naturally spread the virus will be rolled out with much fanfare. This disinforming bottom line will be pushed hardest by a WHO investigator named Dr. Peter Daszak. He's a British zoologist who has long been implicated in the work of the Chinese biowarfare laboratory known as the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which he insists was not involved in the outbreak. But the U.S. government knows the lab was doing work on mutating coronaviruses because, thanks to Dr. Tony Fauci, it paid for such so-called gain-of-function research there. Sorry, Dr. Daszak. We want a second opinion. This is Frank Gaffney.
0: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at sandy at That's sandy at afr.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
1: John Lott is my guest, always my special guest, and he is uh, the president of crime prevention research. But he worked with the Justice Department on election fraud issues uh, in 2020. So uh, he's found they have discovered all this fraud. Well, let's say 7% of the ballots were suspect in this county, Montana. And uh, this article that he lays out, which we'll put on our Facebook page, explains all of it. It's very interesting. But, John, just in closing with you, what is the what does this do to the whole narrative? I mean, is the, it, I would think this would be a useful um, story, certainly, to say, really, that this is the big lie, that there were no irregularities? Of course there were.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, the media has been very irresponsible on this, where they just— constantly claim without even looking at anything that uh... there was no evidence uh... you know it's just a big lie about uh... any vote fraud saying that there's no vote fraud saying that there's no problem at all with mail-in ballots look you look around the world i mean if, if, if Trump or others were delusional with regard to vote fraud then the vast majority of the world is delusional with regard to vote fraud in europe uh... seventy four percent of european countries ban mail-in ballots completely for people living in the country. Uh, Another 6% require that you have to be either in the military or in the hospital at the time of the vote, and you have to have uh, uh, verification from a third party, from the military or the hospital, not your own word on it. Uh, You have another 15% that require that you have to have a photo ID government-issued photo ID and physically go and pick up your absentee ballot yourself. So these are 95% of European countries banning it or having very strict regulations with regard to absentee ballots, let alone these types of mail-in ballots, which are are even much worse. You get outside of Europe, you have even higher rates of banning these uh, uh, types of ballots. And there's a reason for that. A lot of countries like France... Used to have uh, absentee ballots. Up at, they had it up until 1975, where they discovered literally hundreds of thousands of dead people voting. Um, the UK used to have rules similar to what we have up until uh, 2006, when just in the city of Birmingham, England, they discovered something like 40,000 um, fraudulent votes, and now they require uh, photo IDs to go and uh, obtain the ballots. So. You know, uh, it's in fact in Europe, there was only one country that changed its voting rules because of the coronavirus. Uh, Poland, for a one time exception, uh, had absentee ballots for uh, this past election. Uh, uh, but, you know, even there, it was just a temporary change. And, and you know, it's, most of the countries wouldn't make any change at all despite the fears about the coronavirus. So it's it's really something that uh, we need to think long and hard about before we adopt the types of executive rules that uh, Biden just put in place or uh, this H.R. 1 that you were just talking about before the break that would force states uh, to move towards uh, mail-in ballots and getting rid of uh, any type of ID requirements for people to, to register to vote
1: and i think the Excuse thing you, that the thing that really uh probably scares me frightens me concerns me the most john is that uh, we can laugh about that the big lie i did sort of make a joke about it but it's being used uh, as a hammer as a tool and i was I, I don't know if you i'm sure you have been keeping up with at least some of what's happened after january 6th after that um demonstration for president trump that, that rally in support and then the incursion into the capitol People are being arrested, and, and at least in one particular case I know, of, I've read the FBI transcript, and this 18-year-old boy was arrested. He went with his parents, and he was arrested for whatever, you know, going into the Capitol illegally and all the, all the different things that they're charging people with. But in the transcript, when they're—the parent—he's homeschooled. Uh, they're actually in, um, interrogating the father, and they ask him if he believed—they ask the father if he believed that the 2020 election was, a, was, was stolen— Uh, and that if he believed Joe Biden was the real president. And then they make the comment that um, uh, they can't let the boy out of jail uh, without bail into his custody because he's not a trustworthy parent. It's like uh, the inference is child abuse because you've taught him basically that this election was uh, a fraud and therefore we can't release him to you. I actually read that in the transcript, John. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that's how this is being used.
3: I mean, that's that's terrifying i mean i don't uh i mean that's first i've heard of that and it's uh it's very concerning look i mean even fox news and uh other similar outlets uh were using terms in their news stories you know about you know fraudulent claims about fraud in the election yes uh, you know and it just it just kind of, well, if you repeat this long enough, I mean, during the uh, impeachment trial in the Senate, uh, I don't know how many times the uh, House uh, managers, for the Democrats, were going out and claiming that, uh, you know, there are these 60 court cases, and none of them uh, supported evidence of vote fraud. Well, that's not what the cases did. The cases refused to even look at the evidence at that time. Um, it was... You had a situation where Republicans would go to court and they would go and say, "You know there have been a lot of irregularities that have occurred, and the courts would come back and they'd say, "Okay, yeah, there have been irregularities, but you have to prove to us that there was enough fraud occurring to actually change the results of the elections and the Republicans would say, "Well, uh, we need to have discovery in order to do that because the election observers were not allowed to observe you know and in uh, Philadelphia. They were 25 feet away or 100 feet away from the ballot county. In Allegheny County, they were forced to have to be in a separate room where a useless closed circuit television was provided for them to kind of watch the the opening of the ballots and the county that was there. You had similar stories in Wayne County, Michigan, or uh, Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, or other places, Fulton, Georgia. And... Uh, you're know, you in a situation where the Republicans had a catch-22 because they were saying, look, we can't give you an exact count until we have discovery because we weren't allowed to uh, watch the ballot counting. And the judges say, well, we're not going to let you have discovery until you can prove to us up front about the amount of fraud. I mean, there are lots of court decisions that recognize that there was irregularities that had occurred. Um, But you know, I tried to do some empirical work when I was in the Department of Justice uh, that got around this problem just by looking at systematic evidence, and I think there was a fair amount of systematic evidence that there was fraud that was occurring. But, um, you know, the, the, the amazing thing about Montana here is that we actually have a complete recount of, uh, of the envelopes. More needs to be done. I mean, it's a multiple-stage process where they can only do so much. Kind of in the first stage, they have to go to court uh, and to get an order in order to go and do uh, further examinations of of the voting that was occurring there. Uh, and hopefully, the amount of problems that they found to begin with will be able to 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 move the courts in that direction. Uh, but it's but. This should hopefully create an incentive for us at least to fight back against H.R. Uh, 1 and to get other courts to allow people to examine the the ballots finally. Uh, the problem is right now uh, you're reaching periods of time where evidence isn't going to be kept uh, anymore in the uh,
1: election. It's lot already of been yes, it's been destroyed in, in some places. places.
3: Yeah, well, they have, like, 60-day rules mm-hmm. for keeping mm-hmm. information from the election, yep. uh, and those have passed.
1: Yep. Well, this is still valuable information, John. I just am – I'm a really committed. I believe truth has a power of its own, and so for no other reason you have reported the truth of what happened in Missoula County, Montana. Uh, for all to hear that uh, have ears to listen, and by the way, the article is called A River of Doubt Runs Through Mail Voting – in Montana, and we'll put that on our Facebook page so that you can read it and share it with your friends, and uh, when they tell you it's a big lie, you can share that with them, because it isn't a big lie. John Lott, always a privilege. It's crimeresearch.org to read and see everything that John is writing about, um, about crime and guns and all of that. He's written some great stuff through the years and have been really the the lone voice on the fighting back on gun control. Uh, So, Professor John Lott, thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for joining me. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
0: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Right